As you are seated, we invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. And as our children leave, let us bow together and pray. We thank you for our children. And we pray that the childlike wonder of the gospel might uh, revisit each one of us, no matter our age. For there is much that can be learned and seen anew through the eyes of children. So grant us the eyes to see the cross, to survey it wisely and yet wondrously. We thank you for the tradition that we are part of. We can live into it and celebrate it without claiming it to be the one and the only, but we are grateful for rituals, for symbols, for community, for spaces and moments such as this when we can turn to you, turn inward and find you, turn outward and find you wherever we go, O God, there you are. You have so loved the world that in the fullness of time you sent Jesus among us to show us your heart of love and to call us to be a unique people who see, who are awake, who are empowered by this wondrous cross. We join our voices now with people all around the world who in many different languages pray the prayer that Jesus taught his first disciples as we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Some years ago, our custodian, Jerry Bassett, who's been with us for 20 years, um, brought her grandson, Jason, to work with her one day, just to uh, hang with her and to follow her around. Jason was about eight years old at the time. Uh, Jerry and Jason and their whole family are devout Catholics, very active in their church. So when young Jason came into Highlands Sanctuary for the first time, he looked around And ask his grandmother, where's Jesus? Because growing up in the Catholic Church, he was used to a crucifix being in the center of the altar always in every church he had ever been in. So where's Jesus? And Jerry, as only a custodian of 20 plus years could answer, said, Jesus isn't in the Baptist church. Well, Jason, Jesus is here now, um, at least for this Lenten season as we survey the wondrous cross, using this great theme from Isaac Watts' 300-year-old hymn. What we as people of faith are seeing more and more is that the cross is not simply an end unto itself, an event that God did and it happened and you believe in it, but that it has power and potential 
and possibilities for right here and right now. You see, I grew up in a a church where that didn't quite feel like the story. In fact, it really kind of conformed to what I saw and received when I went to school during the week. I was in a geometry class, for example, where they taught us uh, the Pythagorean theorem. Anyone remember that? A squared plus B squared equals... That's like the one thing I remember from the whole thing. (laughs) I just thought I would do a little shout-out to all our math teachers in the church here. But I didn't, it, it didn't mean anything to me. I mean, I knew how to do the equation, but it didn't mean anything. They just said, learn it. It will be on the test. So I learned it. Just like I learned Spanish in my Spanish class. No one I knew, no one I knew spoke Spanish. Not only did we not have black kids in my church, the school I grew up in, we certainly didn't have anyone who spoke Spanish in fact, I thought Spanish was just sort of a, an educational way to haze us, just to make you learn things to, uh, that you didn't really need to know. And we, I, my friends and I kind of used it as a secret code. We could speak in Spanish, and the kids who were taking French or Latin or German didn't know what we were talking about. But other than that, why would you learn Spanish? So that was my Monday through Friday world. On Saturday, I rested. And on Sunday... I'd go to church, and they would say to me, Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. It was a cosmic battle, and it's the end in itself. Now, you believe it so that when you die, you will go to heaven. Now, I was, I have to say, I really was captured by Jesus' teachings, by his approach to life. I found it revolutionary, liberating, this generosity and abundance that just seemed to follow wherever he went. He could heal people. He could feed people. He just gave of himself, and I loved that. But the cross, really, which I was told was the central point of the faith, the cross for me, it was like the Pythagorean theorem or learning Spanish. It was an exercise in memorization and repetition. It was almost like a museum display. La Cruz de Jesus, you know, for those of you who speak Spanish. (laughs) Years later, I moved to Texas. And did you know that there's like a whole population of people who speak Spanish? (laughs) I mean, who knew? And I could even remember a few lines from ninth and 10th grade Spanish class. And it worked. Then one day I had to build a railing for some steps in our home. And I'm looking at it trying to figure out how am I going to figure the line here. And all of a sudden A squared plus B squared equals C squared came into my mind. And I thought, whoa, is this a... That thing works. (laughs) Who knew? So when we survey the cross, my hope is that, is that this same kind of awakening experience might happen to us. That the cross would become for us not just an event in A.D. 33 that happened to Jesus and Jesus alone. That it's not just an end unto itself, a little compartmentalized event that if you believe it, you get to go to heaven. 
but rather that the cross can represent for us that wherever and where to whomever suffering happens, God is there. That the cross becomes, to use Carl Jung's language, kind of an archetype. It stands as representative of wherever there is suffering in the world. So that when we open the newspaper or turn on the news of the day on our televisions and hear about the Holy Lands or Syria or the immigration challenges in Africa or all the effects here in the United States of of all the hundreds of years of slavery and Jim Crow on a particular group of people, we make the connection. We make the connection. We recognize that Christ is present in every one of those moments of suffering. Carl Jung says the whole world is God's suffering. And he wasn't just trying to be poetic. He was talking about what happens when we survey the wondrous cross and we see things in the whole. And we discover that ultimately there is one suffering. That we're all connected. We're connected to God. We're connected to creation. We're connected to Christ, and his suffering is our suffering, and our suffering is his suffering. Whether we're talking about Israel or Syria or Africa or West Louisville or the things that make you and me suffer in our own lives, those places where our lives are pinched or hurt or fearful or we live in a sense of scarcity, that in every one of those places, the cross stands as representative of our pain. Every act of human suffering is participation in the eternal crucifixion of the one Christ. There's only one suffering, as it were, and we all participate in it. So what does Jesus' suffering mean? It seems to me that among the things we can say about what it means is that this is not what God intended. God did not intend for Jesus to die on the cross. God did not intend for the world to be in such discord and disunity and disharmony. It was the dream of God from the very beginning that the world be lived in unity and harmony in coordination and cooperation with each other and with God and with the limits and the boundaries that God gave this world. And that's God's dream, abundance. Instead, what we have is a spirit of discord and dissonance and disregard for others that results in conflicts and wars and scarcity. And it is the suffering of God. We'll sing later in this service the classic Lenten hymn, when I survey, or, uh, What Wondrous Love Is This? There's a line in it that it always grated on me. It says, when I was sinking down, sinking down, beneath God's righteous frown. I almost said to Kathy, let's, let's not sing that. God's righteous frown, God's mad at you. I I don't want to convey that message, but I realize that God's righteous frown is the broken heart of God. It's It's a metaphor for God. In this world of brokenness, 
being deeply saddened by the way and the state of creation today. And Jesus on the cross is the sacred archetypal way of saying God is with us in this. Clarence Jordan, who was um, a minister, a Greek scholar, took the New Testament and actually translated it, paraphrased it from uh, uh, first century Palestine to 20th century, 1940s, southern United States. So he tells the story, for example, of uh, the parable of Jesus about the Good Samaritan, where he talks about the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. In Clarence Jordan's translation, it's a man going from uh, uh, Atlanta to Albany, Georgia. When he's stopped and beaten up and robbed. And in place of a Samaritan, in Jordan's telling of it, along comes a black man who looks at the white man on the side of the road and says to himself, they beat you up. I know what that's like. I've been beaten up too. And they robbed you, didn't they? I know what that's like. I've been robbed too. This compassion, this identification, it trumps nationality or race because the suffering that the, that the black man sees is actually the same suffering. It's his suffering. It's one suffering. It's Christ on the cross. And when we open ourselves up to this possibility... This new way of thinking about Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world. You see the cross everywhere. I mean, we try to model it here in our sanctuary with a cross in front of the pulpit and on the pulpit and next to the pulpit and all the banners and in, in the stained glass windows. There are crosses everywhere on our, on our, around our necks. But to see it out of this space as we'll say when we end this form of worship and walk out these doors to resume the worship that is our lives, to continue to see the cross everywhere, in Syria, in Israel and Palestine, in Iraq and, and in Africa, and when the poor people are becoming even poorer and the exploited people are becoming exploited even more, every one of those places and in your life and mine is the suffering of Christ The cross becomes, in this way, kind of a a portal, a way to look through and see our suffering, while at the same time seeing the suffering of the world today and in the past and in the future, and then also to see in and with all of it the very suffering of God. It's why Highland does what we do. It's why we are about the missions we are about. We're not just trying to go about doing good to get brownie points for ourselves. And we're certainly not trying to brighten the corner where we are. We're joining God in the suffering and in the righteous frown that says the world is not is as it should be. And we are being called to be instruments of peace and healing in a world of suffering. It's why we go to Morocco. It's why we work with the 
refugees who find themselves stuck there. It's why now we're going to work with the students from all over Africa who work with these refugees and have been traumatized by it to care for their suffering in the midst of others' suffering. It's why we do youth ministry. It's why we do young adult ministry. It's why we do children's ministry. It's ultimately what it means to be the church is to hold each other in our suffering and to call each other through the suffering to see this larger work of love. This is what it means to believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us. It's not about memorizing Bible verses and that become basically some kind of unused Pythagorean theorem or Spanish language that you never knew existed. It's about having a new mission, a new reason for living. And here's the really good news. Here's the good news. That Jesus on the cross, this suffering one, isn't just some poor sap who drew the short straw of life and has to be this eternal sad sack companion who can only come along with us in our suffering but knew nothing about it. For the truth of the matter is, when you connect your suffering to Christ's suffering, something gets lifted off of you. The burden... The suffering is borne by this one who loves unconditionally. And and when that happens, when you experience that, you are awakened to this entirely new perspective, this new possibility, and I would say even this new power. Power that you and I are given to see and interpret and to live differently in this world. You've experienced it. I experienced it yesterday of all times on a Saturday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning. I found myself at a a meeting that was called by West Louisville pastors uh, at Simmons College. I don't usually get up and get out at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning, but but I was feeling pretty good about myself because I did. Uh, When I got there, I found... 60 or more black pastors of all, all denominations, all, they were all gathered there together to learn about how to be better pastors. Because you see, they didn't get to go to college or seminary. In fact, every one of these folks works other jobs, full-time jobs, and sometimes, some of them work two jobs in order to make ends meet. And on top of that, they're pastors of churches. And not just any old church, but churches that are in the hood, where there are drug dealers and prostitutes and thieves and all kinds of people running around just outside their doorsteps, and yet they planted their mailbox in concrete, as Kevin Cosby would say. They have staked their claim right there to say, this is our calling. This is our time. These pastors suffer. They work long hours. And after they work long hours, they serve their churches. And they see all of the bad stuff that happens there. And I have to say that just to be around them awakens something in me. And it causes me to suffer with them. And they claim 
that my suffering with them strengthens them, which is odd because it strengthens me. One pastor told about how many times his church had been broken into and robbed. The office had been robbed. The sanctuary had been robbed of all the anything of value. The musical instruments had been robbed more than once. And this is not a church that has insurance. They'd like to catch the thieves. But here's what kills me. Their interest is not so much in catching the thief and punishing him or her. They do speak of personal sins, the sins of the thief. But when they talk about the sins of the thief, they also insist on talking about the social and structural sins that cause the thief to exist in the first place. Why do people steal, they would ask. It's because they're poor. Why are there prostitutes and pimps and drug dealers and, and, and junkies around? It's because they're hopeless. And they get it and they see it and they suffer. And as they suffer, they change the world. Because really there's only one suffering. And by bearing it, we lift it off of other people. So for these pastors... The cross of Jesus is not just a formula. It's not an end in itself. It's not high school geometry or Spanish in 1970, Ohio, white, suburban world. The cross for them is not just a triviality. The cross for them is the vehicle to take us to the place where Jesus and life intersect. And at that crossroad where we find ourselves called to bind up the wounds and to heal the nations and to restore creation we get to be invited. I can't think of anything that is more worthy of our lives than finding those places in your life and in mine, in this city of ours, in this state of ours, this place, any place in our world where we're called to transform God's righteous frown into the joy, the smile that was surely on God's face. On that sixth day of creation when God looked out and said, This is very good. Very good. No wonder we call it a wondrous cross. Let's pray together. Make known to us, O Christ, the mysteries and mercies of your cross. Make us perpetual students, learning, asking, exploring, experimenting, trusting. Continue to teach us by your word and by your spirit, which permeates the world as much today as it did on that first day of creation. Until that day, when you look down again, And look out from the world and say, very good, very good. To you be glory now and forever. Amen.